0: Well, good morning. My name is Alyssa. I am one of the pastors here at Central City, and this is my first time ever preaching with an iPad. Usually I, I'm i old-fashioned and I use paper, so please give me a little bit of grace if I get lost. Um, but before we get started, um, I'd like to light a candle, and I don't use lighters because um, I'm, a, I'm afraid of burning myself. So Trevor is going to light this candle for me. Uh, This week, one of my habits as I sit with Christ for any reason, whether it's um, devotion or as I was working on my sermon or just in prayer, I really just felt compelled to light a candle. And it just reminded me that Christ is with me, that Christ is here. And today I want to remind you guys that Christ is here. Like Joe said, before Christ was here, God was in this place before we even started setting up this morning. And um, we need that more than ever, it feels like, in our world to to know that Jesus is with us, that he is the light of the world, and that he is with us. Let's pray. Jesus, light of the world, you have already overcome. You are already have the victory, um, but sometimes, often, really far too often, um, it doesn't look like it or feel like it. Um, This week, we we remember those who have been affected by the several hurricanes and other natural disasters around the world, those who have died and those who are trying to rebuild their lives. We remember those who are in the midst of loss and suffering from the Las Vegas shooting, God, there are no answers, only questions. We mourn with those who are mourning today, and as we are gathered here, we ask that you would give us strength and wisdom to be the answer to our prayers and the prayers of so many, that we would bring even just a little more of your kingdom here on earth, that you as the light of the world would give us your light to share with those around us. Open our eyes and our ears to see and hear where you are today and change us, Lord. Amen. Shootings, politics, cancer, hurricanes, death, depression, doubt, fear, divorce, hopelessness, apathy. Doesn't that just weigh on you? Just even saying those words feels so heavy, and today is a hard day. This was a hard week, um, as I talked to many of you. It was a hard week for you guys. It was a hard week for our country. It's been a hard. It's been difficult. Several weeks. Difficult. Several months. Even years. There's so much brokenness in the world, and I know that not just because I watch the news but because I am broken. Uh, let me tell you, I just started going to a counselor again a couple of weeks ago, not for any particular reason except that I find it very helpful and uh, just to, to work through some things that I want to work on with another person and find healing in that. But it reminds me all too well just how broken I am. I want this world to be better, to be different. And I know many of you do too. And the only place I know to start is with myself. When I am changed, the world around me is changed. When I am transformed by Jesus, the world around me begins to transform. Church Father Augustine of Hippo wrote, The times are bad. The times are troublesome. This is what humans say. But we are our times. Let us live well, and our times will be good. Such as we are, such are our times. I know that many of you are struggling this week. Is this Jesus thing worth it? Where is God in the midst of all that is going on in our world and in my life? And I struggle with this too, and hopefully this morning, through scripture and prayer and God's presence with us, we can find a little glimmer of hope in the midst of our lives and our community. So if you want to open your Bibles this morning or your smartphone app, um, we are going to be spending this morning looking at Philippians chapter 3. Philippians is in the New Testament, so it's towards the back of your old-fashioned paper Bible. Um, And it's written by a guy named Paul. We'll learn a little bit about him as we read this chapter this morning. Um, But Paul, while he was writing this letter, was sitting in prison sitting in a jail cell in Jerusalem for reasons that he shouldn't have been there. He was not, um, he was not guilty. And if you've never read this letter, I'd encourage you to do so. We're just going to spend time in this third chapter, but the main theme of this entire letter is joy in the midst of suffering. In the fourth chapter, Paul, while sitting in prison, writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. But well, That's a sermon for a different day. We'll talk about that later. So let's start with uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Paul writes, Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. There it is. Did you see it? Rejoice in the Lord, whatever happens. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. Let me say that again. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, Though I, Paul, could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. This is where we learn a little bit about Paul. He gives us his credentials here. So let's, let's look at who he is. Paul says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the jewish law I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church and as for righteousness. I obeyed the law without fault This is like the best guy that you've ever met nothing wrong with him He had every justification for everything he had done and he lived the law to the letter If anyone was worthy of boasting, it was Paul. He had education, he had the family status, he had power, he had money, and he followed all the rules. But Paul goes on to say that none of that matters anymore. He met Jesus and Jesus changed everything. The Amplified Bible puts it this way, verses eight and nine. Yes, furthermore, I count everything as loss compared to the possession of the priceless privilege of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The overwhelming preciousness, the surpassing worth and supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, and of progressively becoming more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, which means perceiving and recognizing and understanding him more fully and clearly. For his sake, I've lost everything and consider it all to be mere rubbish in order that I may win Christ and that I may actually be found and known in him. Paul isn't necessarily saying for us to give up our family or our education or our job. He is saying, however, that Christ should mean so much more to you than all of those things. We should no longer boast about where we went to school or how much money we make or where we live. We should boast in the resurrection of Christ, the new life that he gives us every day. And knowing Christ. Paul writes that knowing Christ is perceiving and recognizing and understanding him more fully and more clearly every day. So we should boast when Christ makes us kinder, when Christ lifts another person up, when Christ compels us to serve or give or suffer. That's when we should boast. Boasting in the flesh what we do, how much money we have, that separates us from one another. At that point, we're different. We're no longer alike. But boasting in Christ and what he has done in my life and what he is doing in your life, that unifies us. That brings us together. Now we're all on the same page. We are all together knowing Christ. What does it look like to know Christ? To know Christ and to be found in him? Paul says that like three times: to know Christ and to be found in him. Philippians 3:10 says. For my determined purpose, this is the Amplified Bible translation, it says, for my determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more deeply. What does it look like to know Christ? When I was in college, I took a fitness and nutrition class. I don't really remember much about this class, except that it was really early, like 9 o'clock or something, and it was in the field house. It's funny, because my college roommate just happens to be here today, and she knows that I hated going to class at 9 a.m. I don't know if I went to that class. No, I did at least go the first day. It was in the field house, and I never went to the field house, and It was in a lecture hall, which felt weird that there was even a lecture hall in the gym. And so, but I remember that we had this textbook that taught us why fitness and nutrition was important, but we never did any physical activity or anything with food. So we had a textbook on fitness and nutrition, but we never did any physical activity or anything with food. One thing I remember from that class though, is that I encouraged fitness because you're less likely to slip on ice Because you can maintain your balance better if you work out. And I think about that every December or January because I hate slipping on ice. I'm, like, the most paranoid. I avoid it or I, like, walk really slow and awkwardly. But I think I remember, oh, I should have worked out all year. I would be able to maintain my balance and not slip on this ice. But reading this textbook didn't help me know what it's like to be fit and healthy. I read about the benefits, but it never went any further. I have never experienced the fullness because it stayed as head knowledge. I I know it. I repeat it to myself every year, but I never do it. It's never there. I never know what it's like. This is what Paul is talking about. The word that Paul uses for to know here, it's not just intellectual knowledge. It's not just that he knows about Christ, that he's heard stories about Christ, but he has personal, intimate knowledge of who Christ is, what Christ has done for him, what Christ is doing in the world. This verb to know is, this is awkward, and I wasn't going to say this, but I'm going to. It's the same word that is found in Genesis when it says, Adam knew Eve, and they conceived a child. It is that most intimate knowledge of another person, that you know the person, you have experienced them, and know them most intimately. Paul doesn't just want want to just know about Christ. He wants to know Christ. Knowing Christ, let me just tell you this right now, knowing Christ is not set aside for those of us who have theological education or are pastors because... No, all that head knowledge that we get sometimes separates us from knowing Christ intimately. We sometimes think that because we've learned all these words, we've gone to all these classes, that means that we know Christ, but that's not what Paul is talking about here. He says that knowing Christ is for each and every one of us who longs to be in relationship with him. Paul suggests that we can know Christ right now, today. We don't have to wait until we're in heaven when we get our new body, but we can experience the power of the res- resurrection living in us every day. He says to, be, to know Christ and to be found in him. And this changes us. We're different. When we put aside everything that we once were in order to take on the mind, character, and eventually the body of Christ, it changes us. And this is what Paul is talking about. When we know Christ, we abandon our old privileges, our education, our status, our wealth. None of it matters anymore. We want Christ. And we want to look and act more like him. When we let go of all of that, we are taken hold of by Christ. He takes a hold of us. So how do you know Christ? Christ. How do you know Christ? So many of us are wrestling with doubt, wrestling with fear, fighting cancer or bad health, mourning the loss of family, mourning the state of our country, the division, the natural disasters, mass shootings, race relations, education, politics, not to mention the role the church is or isn't playing in so many of these conversations. Over the last year, Joe and I met with so many of you um, as we started to dream and pray and create this community. And we listened to your stories of church and faith, your experience with people and God. And so many of you shared sadness or disappointment, apathy or disengagement, even grief over your relationship with the church and with God. You haven't found a church where you felt welcome. You haven't found a church that addresses the world around us. You haven't found a church that cares for the poor. You haven't found a church where you can be known. And as we form this community, we are imperfect, each and every one of us. We are imperfect. I am so broken, and I know that every day. We can't do everything. Not every church is for every person, but we do want to be a community that no matter if you visit us one time or you're here for the rest of your life, you know and you can experience God's love for you right here. No matter if you agree or disagree like the music or not, approve of Joe's 8-bit characters in his sermon or not, God is here and God's love is overflowing. How do we become that kind of community? How do we create this kind of community who knows Christ and is found in him? And I'm asking you guys because you guys are creating this community just as much as I am standing up here. How do we become people who embody Christ and the love for God and others? As a whole, you've uh, probably heard of um, some things that we're doing. We try to love our neighbors in tangible ways, feeding them, giving them water when they're running down the street, um, visiting their homes, playing with children. We've collected supplies for those in the past of the hurricanes, but we can't stop there. As a church, as a community of believers, we have to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, too. And some of loving God is through loving our neighbors. But I think that it's more like a circle. Like when we love God, we love our neighbors. We have more capacity to love our neighbors. And when we love our neighbors more, then we love God even more because we see what God is doing in their lives as we're with them. So it's this circle. We just continue to love God and it it creates in us this desire to love others. And then we love others and we love God even more. And this week as I was praying and um, spending time with God, the thing that kept coming to mind was that God wants to spend time with you. God wants to spend time with you. God wants all of you. Everything that you have, everything that you will be, God wants all of you. And when God has all of you, the world then has all of you. And the greater impact you can have on the world. Mother Teresa, she spent 47 of her 87 years on earth working in slums in India, caring for the sick. And it was because of her love for God that she moved halfway around the world and went to India and cared for these people. Pope Benedict XVI, when he was writing about her, said that in the example of Blessed Teresa of Calcutta, we have a clear illustration of the fact that time devoted to God in prayer does not detract from effective and loving service to our neighbor, but is in fact the inexhaustible source of that service. When God has all of us, the world then has all of us, and our impact in our workplaces and in our homes and in our our communities is greater. Our time spent with God is the source for the love of our neighbor. Paul closes this section of the letter reminding the Philippians that they are citizens of heaven. That our hope is that this world, this life, is not the end, but our, we are citizens of heaven. Philippians three twenty through 21 says, But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own. Using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. So as we work and as we are in our communities and as we are spending time with God, we are knowing that there will be a future day when everything will be made right. When Jesus will be the savior of the world and Using the same power with which he rose from the dead, everything will be under his control. In elementary school, each morning, as I'm sure many of you did as well, um, the PA would come on and we would, uh, then the morning announcements would happen. And after those announcements, we would stand up, place our hands over our heart, and say the Pledge of Allegiance. Did anybody else do this? Yeah? We were being taught about the earthly kingdom to which we are citizens. We are being taught about the history and the customs and that we should be loyal to this nation. That's what the Pledge of Allegiance does. It's teaching us as we, as we recite it every day. And as Christians, we are dual citizens. We are citizens here on earth, but we are also and maybe more importantly, citizens of heaven. Paul, as a Roman citizen, who could have been put to death, by the way, for being a Christian, he reminds us that our citizenship of heaven is way more valuable than any identity we could claim here on earth. We are taught about citizenship of, of the kingdom of God throughout the history of the church. The church has, has creeds and has writings of church fathers and church mothers that teach us about where we come from and where we belong. And one of these is the Apostles' Creed. Christians would say this, memorize this, as, uh, as a way to confirm that they were Christians. If you knew this, you could get in because it's dangerous. If you don't know this, you might not be a Christian and you might be here to persecute us. But this would, this would be a creed that they would say knowing that they belong somewhere else as a way to confirm as Christians their belief in the Trinity. The words are on the screen right here. I want you to read through this. And I want you to ask yourself if you believe these words, if you know these words for yourself. Do have one caveat because I don't know. Oh, there are stars up there. Um, Catholic, if we remember, means universal. Some of you might have grown up in the Roman Catholic Church or the Catholic Church. This is talking about the whole church all around the world. Everybody who uh, professes to be a part of the body of Christ. So I don't want you to get caught up on that. Do you believe these words? I want to say them together. Um, as a community. So if you believe them, if you want to say them with me, please do right now. Um, We're going to say these. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, He descended into hell. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. John Wesley, in 18th, he's the um, the founder of the Methodist movement. So, in the 18th century, he was an Anglican priest, and he founded this movement that we today call Methodism. And he said that our responsibility is to give the world the right impression of God. Our responsibility as Christians is to give the world the right impression of God. We can't give the world even a good impression of God, if we don't know Christ. If we know things about Christ, but we don't know Christ, we might give the wrong impression. Our responsibility as Christians is to give the world the right impression of God. I want to spend a couple minutes thinking about these questions. What do you know about Christ? What do you know about Christ? How, and how can you come to intimately know Christ? Some things we know about Christ that we haven't yet fully experienced yet. Is there anything that you know about Christ that you're longing to know more intimately? do you know about Christ that you are longing to know more intimately? To close, I want to invite the band to come back up. If you, if there is something that in your life that you are saying, I want to know this about Christ, I want to know this and experience this for myself personally and you don't know how to do that, I would love to get coffee with you or talk to you after the service. Um, there are so many people in our community who have been walking with Jesus for many years and, and I'm sure would love to meet with you as well. um, if you want to figure out how you can know Christ more intimately as a church, this is who we are. We're walking this journey together each day. We are coming to know Christ more deeply and more intimately as a whole community. Let's pray. God, you want to spend time with us. And, and I think sometimes we want to spend time with you too, and we just don't know how. As we go through this week, God, if you would just just give us that desire, maybe that, that inkling or that nudge that we need to just stop and acknowledge you and recognize that you are here. God, would you give us faith to know you? Faith in the power of your resurrection. Faith in this community that you have called your body of Christ. Faith that one day all things will be made new. God, would you give us your spirit to teach us all things that we don't know? And would you change us? that we might be the change that this world around us needs. We love you, God. We are so thankful that you have loved us first, that you are our Savior and our Lord, and that we can come to you with these doubts and with these questions, and that you still are there, that, that those don't bother you, that really that you just want to be with us, mourn with us, celebrate with us in those moments. We just love you and thank you so much. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat>